0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe O'Rico. You can find me over on Twitter at Orico 99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you get all of our new podcasts, articles, news and notes, any bit of baseball content we share out. You guys can find over there, so make sure you guys are going to Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter. And, of course, if you're not somebody who uses Twitter, or even if you are, uh, please do go check out SportsEthos.com. That's where you'll find all of our content right from the source. But today we're going to continue our outfielder review. If you missed it yesterday, we went through the top 10 outfielders in fantasy baseball according to Yahoo's rankings. I know there are a lot of different places that assemble rankings, whether it's dollar value calculators or just rankings in general. Uh, you know Any site you play on will have their own rankings. Uh, but I think Yahoo is a very popular one, so we do use Yahoo's here in our reviews. So if you want to follow along, uh, you can go to your Yahoo app or Yahoo website, and you go to sort by uh, the top outfielders, and we're just going down that list. 1 through 10 was yesterday. We're going to pick up right where we left off at number 11. And it was a pretty big surprise this year from a fantasy point of view, from a real-life point of view as well. It was Marcelo Zuna coming in at number 11 in that ridiculous Braves offense. And he was a big reason why the Braves were able to be as good as they were. Uh, Just one of the many pieces in that offense that was pushing that engine along to be as historically great as they were. 40 homers, 100 ribbies, 84 runs scored, and a 274 batting average for Ozuna. He's obviously not a threat on the base paths, so no stolen bases there. He did have the one season where he had 12 stolen bases in 2019. But other than that, Never been a steals guy, can't expect steals, but you got a lot out of him this season. Very intriguing uh, season from Ozuna. You weren't expecting a hell of a lot, and you didn't get a hell of a lot early on. A lot of people probably dropped him in your more shallow formats in the month of May, or excuse me, in the month of April. We're looking at a .085 batting average. Yes, that is five hits over his first 59 at-bats. A lot of people, 10s, 12-team leagues, probably cut him. And then in May, he hit nine home runs, hit 297. And then June, five homers, 309. It did fluctuate in and out throughout the season. But like I said, 40 homers, you're driving in 100 and you're batting 274. You're a huge fantasy asset, obviously. And he did come in overall as the number 32 player in fantasy, even with a zero in the stolen base column. So obviously, that was all really excellent from Mr. Ozuna. Now, he has one year left on his contract. He is going to be with the Braves next season. I don't really have any concerns about him repeating what he's done here. I mean, he is getting a little bit older. He just turned 33 years old, but that's not really a point where I'd be that worried of him starting to fall off, especially after this year was pretty much the best season we've ever seen from Marcelo Zuna in his career. Uh, You could maybe argue 2017 was better. It probably was overall, but this was pretty damn close. So, I mean, It's not like he's been on any kind of downward trajectory, especially after what we saw, especially knowing that that Braves lineup is going to look very similar to what we saw last year. And knowing the Braves, they'll pull a rabbit out of the hat. There'll be some guy we've never heard of that gets called up and he'll hit 20 home runs for them. They are just, they're a machine. They are a factory. So there's no reason to doubt the team around him. There's no reason to doubt his power. His batting average maybe won't hit 274 again, but you're probably looking at 250 to 260 with everything else remaining about the same. The one caveat here is we're doing outfield review because that's where he was eligible this past season. But next year we're looking at DH only, utility only. 141 games. He was a DH. He was in left field twice. But he is going to be a guy where if you drafted him, you do have to put him in that utility slot. Some sites you have one, some sites you have two. It really depends where you're playing. His current price is one forty seven with a minimum pick of eighty six, a maximum of one ninety-four. I don't love it. I don't think it's terrible, and he can definitely attain that value again and I guess in certain builds you're you're okay with it you're getting that production one way or the other it doesn't really matter Um, I guess honestly the more the more I think about it it's not that bad if you're going like closer to the minimum end of that spectrum 86 that's where I think you're pushing it a little bit for Marcelo Zuna you're talking a 15 teamer which is what's going on right now you're talking sixth round I think it's a little bit early for him there are younger guys there are guys that are I think a little more well-rounded fantasy wise that you can probably be getting in that kind of range. So I wouldn't be pushing him inside the top 100. But if you're getting him around ADP of around 150, you know, round 10, round 11, should be able to be a solid three-plus category for, uh, contributor for you this coming season. Let's talk Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich, I, I I was kind of surprised, honestly, over what uh, we've seen these last couple of years with Yelich. I, I wasn't sure. It was kind of a similar to Cody Bellinger, right? Uh, you know, we saw a couple of incredible, incredible seasons there when he was, you know, uh, still fairly young. I mean, he's still fairly young right now. He's only about to be thirty-two. But when he was in his mid-twenties, you saw in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen those ridiculous seasons, MVP-worthy seasons in both years, and then we saw him fall off kind of dramatically in twenty twenty. And 2021, 2022, he started to come back to life a little bit. And then he really was fully rejuvenated this past season. Not again, similarly to Bellinger, not back to the same heights that we did see him reach back a few years ago, but he got you 19 homers, 28 stolen bases. He batted 278, 106 runs scored and 76 RBI. He gave you everything you could have possibly hoped for. Again, He wasn't somebody that you were drafting terribly high. I think he was outside of the top 100 100 this past season because people have kind of were, anyway, as of last season, had kind of moved on from the thought that Yelich can get back to that kind of first, second-round value. It wasn't first or second-round value, but he was number 35 overall on Yahoo. You're talking third-round value. Not at all what you were expecting from Yelich. Maybe some people were, but I think for the most part, people were kind of just thinking, okay, He's going to bat in the low twos. He's going to hit you 15 homers. He's not going to really steal bases anymore, but the steals came back. We got the power back up a little bit. I know 19 homers isn't crazy, but it's definitely an improvement over what we've seen. Getting over 100 runs, scoring 70, or excuse me, knocking in 76. All of it was really, really good for Christian Yelich, and it's really a nice story to see him get back. Again, very, very eerily reminiscent of Bellinger's career path, not to the same heights, but to get back to a point where he's very much a respected player, Now, his ADP, I don't really have any problem with it at 72. On the minimum end, again, as we do for most players, we do have some problem with it. 49 is the minimum pick. It feels a little early to take him at the beginning of the fourth round. If you're talking 12-teamer, that's beginning of the fifth round. I just think it's a little early. Now, the max pick is 95. At that point, sure, 72 as the ADP. I think it feels very reasonable for a guy that you can reasonably project like something close to 20 homers, 20 to 30 kind of stolen base range. You're probably going to see, I don't know, 270, 260 kind of batting average from him. So I I think that it's very reasonable to pay that price at the back end of the top 100. Uh, He's not going to be a huge target of mine, but I I think it's very reasonable to go after him at that point, especially in your deeper leagues, five outfielder leagues. Those guys dry up pretty quickly. Uh, Getting a Yelich, a guy who can secure you potentially five category numbers at the back end of the top 100, uh, I think it could be a very, very nice deal for you let's talk Nick Castellanos. Nick Nick Castellanos comes in at number 13 here on the outfielder ranking list. He had an incredible season, a big bounce back, finishing at number 44 overall. Again, that is according to Yahoo. His first season in Philadelphia was dreadful, uh, especially where he drafted him. You really, really felt it in 2022. 2021, he had an outstanding season where really truly in a lot of years you could look at that and say that's an mvp caliber season 34 homers 95 runs 100 ribbies he stole three bases and he batted 309 so he was i forget exactly how expensive going into 2022 now ah man i can't remember the exact price where castellanos was but i believe he was outside of the top 100 uh, 120 130 ish um Excuse me. That was coming into 2023. Uh, Going into 2022, he was like third round, second round kind of guy. And then he gave you 13 homers. He gave you seven steals. He batted 263. It was a poor season. And we've seen it from a lot of players and a couple of examples on Philadelphia specifically of guys going into their first year of their new big contract and he got paid. He got a hundred million dollar deal over five years. You see some times where guys just don't adjust right away. They don't get it in the first season. There's a lot of different factors, but Castellanos in year two, 29 homers, 106 driven in. He got the average up to 272, stole 11 bases, surpassing double-digit steals for the first time in his career. Previous high was the year before where he had seven. So we start to see him steal more. We know the batting average is pretty stable, even if it's not 300, 270, 260 kind of range, probably higher than 260. 260 is what we saw in the down year. Other than that, in the recent full seasons, we've seen, again, it to exclude the COVID year. We've seen 309, 289, 298, 272, 285. We've seen very high batting average floor from him, so you can easily expect that again. You're going to get the counting stats in that lineup. Now, I have seen him talked about in trade rumors that he'll potentially be dealt from Philadelphia. If that happens, obviously, we we address it when it happens. It's I've learned over these last couple of years that you can't always just default to the rumors There's so many that are false that you go through every one, and you're going to end up talking about a lot of useless content. So if he gets traded, he gets traded. I'm going to assume he's going to be on Philadelphia. That's where I'll have him projected. Again, if we hear something, we hear something. But as of now, really like Nick Castellanos. I think that he is going to be a very strong value in that lineup once again, and you're not really paying a terribly high price for it. 102 is the ADP, so it's gone up a little bit, a couple rounds, but you're not paying a king's ransom for him. 62 on the minimum. 132 on the maximum. I don't mind him even closer to the higher end of that spectrum if you're talking like 70, 80 kind of range. Then I'm totally okay with Nick Castellanos. I think if you're reaching up to 62 or maybe even into the 50s where you're talking fourth round, maybe you're pushing your luck a little bit because you don't have like 30-plus power necessarily in there. There might be another 30-plus season, but you I don't know. Probably expecting more 25. You're not getting a huge plus in steals. So you're you're getting a plus across the board, but not a huge, huge plus. He's more of a balanced player. So I wouldn't be pushing him up into round four necessarily. But I definitely think like round five and beyond is fair game to start thinking about taking a a Nick Castellanos this coming season. Now we get uh, another bit of a surprise here on our list. Well, I mean, if you guys were paying close attention to the fantasy baseball season, then it might not be such a surprise, but Josh Lowe coming in here at number 53, outranking some crazy players we're going to talk about right after him, Jordan Alvarez and Fernando Tatis. Again, if you use a different evaluating system, it might look a little different. But according to Yahoo, Lowe was 53, Alvarez 54, Tatis 58. And it's hard to blame them when you look at the stats. Over 135 games, 20 homers, 32 steals, and a 292 batting average with 71 runs, 83 RBI. I was a huge, huge fan of Josh Lowe coming into 2022, and then, of course, we know what happened, he played 52 games, he hit two homers, he batted 221, he did not spend a lot of time in the major leagues, because he didn't look like he could really cut it at that level, and he couldn't, but he's one of those post-hype sleeper guys that really, really broke through in 2023, and of course, he gave you that ridiculous value. Now, where I worry a little bit is about the lack of at-bats he'll get against lefties, he had 63 of them, and he wasn't amazing he wasn't terrible he only he had 15 hits he batted 238 in that span he had a couple of his homers against lefties I think the Rays will probably over time play him more full-time because we saw him play 135 games because they they didn't want to play him against left-handed pitching I think over time you see that start to change a little bit they'll probably play him more regularly against lefties. I don't see that being a thing with your 25-year-old stud that you want to necessarily make him a platoon player from the beginning of his career. And he did play occasionally against left-handed pitching, but I think that'll be more of a full-time thing. Now, that'll probably add to the volume stats. It may cut into that 292 batting average. It is totally a possibility that more bats against lefties makes him you know, closer to like a two eighty kind of hitter. But if you're getting more volume out of him, you're getting those extra 25-ish games, I think you'll take what'll probably be an extra 10 15 runs in RBIs each, uh, and then probably a couple more steals, a couple more homers in exchange for a few points of batting average. really like Josh Lowe, I think that he is going to be maybe not a superstar, but like on that same level as probably in a Rosa arena. They're very similar kind of fantasy players real life. Uh, you know stat pages are are very similar uh, in what they put on the board, and I think you're going to see that kind of player where he's not like a super superstar. But I think a very, you know, I don't even know the right exact words to use, but I think he'll be a star. I think Josh Lowe will be a star-level player. Uh, Now, his ADP, 76.3. The minimum pick, as usual, kind of scares me a little bit at 46. You're talking pretty early at 46 there, just outside of the top three rounds of a 15-teamer. The maximum pick of 116 looks very good. I think that, you know, anywhere, even in that ADP range of 75 and beyond, you're going to be okay with Josh Lowe. I don't think you're going to be disappointed based on his well-rounded fantasy game, even if it's a couple more homers, a, f- uh, you know, a, couple, a few less homers, a couple more steals, a few less. Like Overall, I think that the fantasy juice is going to be pretty secure. Always saw very high walk rates in the minors. We didn't really see it so much this past season, but it's something that should come along. Strikeout rate was good. Overall, I think he's a pretty safe profile to target there in round five or round six, depending on your format and depending on the depth of your league. Let's move on and let's talk about Jordan Alvarez. I know it's crazy that Josh Lowe was ahead of him on the rankings, but that's just the way that it shook out this season. Jordan Alvarez, of course, is the superior player. He is the stud, and it was only a couple of points, but I think it is interesting to note. Of course, Alvarez also only played 114 games, so 20 fewer games, and he's still about par there with Lowe. We got 31 homers, we got 77 runs, 97 ribbies, and a 293 batting average. We know what we are expecting with Jordan Alvarez at this point. He is one of those guys where you can say, I'm going to write it down in pen at the beginning of the season, pretty much what he is going to do for me. Now, we have had a couple of different injuries over the last couple of seasons with Alvarez. There's been, there was a hand issue last season. This year it was an oblique, I believe, that cost him a lot of time, and then he slammed his finger in a door or something like that, missed a couple games. There was a few different injuries that he did have, and of course that's why you're playing 114 games. But he still had 97 ribbies and 77 runs, which is just an incredible, incredible total. And that's what happens when you are in this incredibly elite lineup, and that's why we talk about obviously targeting those guys on those better lineups earlier. You have that more per-at-bat, per-game stability Whereas if you have a stud player and he plays for Oakland, he's not going to be securing you 100 ribbies in 114 games. So obviously Alvarez, when healthy, is going to be one of the best players in fantasy. His ascension has also come along with a time when he hasn't been as healthy the last couple of years. He played 144 in 2021, and then he played 135 and 114, and the production has kind of been the same all three years. So you're kind of thinking, if Alvarez is able to play a full season, 140-some-odd games you're thinking it's going to be ridiculous, and Steamer thinks it'll be ridiculous as well. 39 homers, 113 driven in, 102 scored, and a 298 batting average is what Steamer's projecting. He's very clearly worthy of being taken in the first round for me. I have no problem at all. Now, he's more of an end-of-the-first-round guy because you are getting a zero in steals, but I have no problem at all taking him, closing in on the end of your first round, whether it's a 12- or a 15-team league. It does, you know, you do have to make up the steals. So, excuse me, if you are drafting on the turn, you know, we talked about this with Juan Soto. Maybe you pair him with a Jose Ramirez if you can, or potentially an Otani. Or, you know, maybe, depending on your format, maybe you get a Dela Cruz in the third round or something. So you can kind of secure those stolen bases. Because taking a zero in the first round when there are a lot of guys, Carroll, Witt, you know, Tucker, Tatis, uh, Julio, Acuna, all these guys are like 40-plus potential stolen base guys. If you're not getting one of them, you're probably falling behind, you know, head to head is is a different animal because you never know week to week. But in a roto league, you're falling behind that many steals in the first round. You better be making it up later on. That being said, I still think Alvarez is going where he belongs. And right now, maybe even a little bit beyond that at 16.7 on the ADP, 12 is the minimum, 22 is the maximum for Yorda, And anywhere in that range, I'm totally comfortable with it. I think that he warrants that kind of ADP. I think that he is that special of a talent where even though you know that there is injury injury concern, the talent in the team context and everything around him is making you take him in the first at worst uh, early in the second round every single time. Now let's talk about Mr. Fernando Tatis Jr. We mentioned him on the shortstop show. We didn't get into crazy depth about him because well, he's not a shortstop anymore, in fact, yeah, he did not appear there even one time this season. He appeared once at second base. He was in center field five times. He DH three times. And he was in right field 137 times while showing you that absolutely absurd defense. And I think he won the platinum glove or whatever it was uh, for the best defender in the National League. Ridiculous talent. a Top to bottom, ridiculous talent. After missing a season, he comes back and doesn't really miss much of a beat. I know it wasn't classic Tatis production like we'd seen, especially in 2021, but it wasn't terribly far off. 25 homers, 29 steals. A 257 batting average was admittedly disappointing after we'd seen 317, 277, and 282. But we still got 91 runs. We still got 78 RBI from him. Overall, you still got a pretty damn good season out of Tatis, and you got the 58th overall player. Not bad at all. Now, I think another year removed from his surgeries, and he had a couple of them, I think that is probably what's making people believe that he is going to have an Acuna-esque kind of bounce back, where we saw with Ronald Acuna the first year back from the ACL, it wasn't full, you know, he didn't have his full fantasy prowess. You weren't seeing the power there, which you're kind of attributing, maybe it's, you know, the twisting or something like that in the swing, whatever it was, he didn't have full power. He still stole a decent number of bases, but he wasn't his full self. Now, different surgeries, different circumstances with Tatis, but people are putting that same logic to him this draft season. And I understand it, but it's not without its risks either because Tatis might do that, what Acuna did, but again, <clears throat> different player, different surgery, different organization, totally different everything. So I don't know that you can just say, yep, Tatis this season, and you know the projection, projections are pretty high for him, but I don't know that we can just say, yeah, he's going for a 30-30 season, maybe 30-30 is pretty reasonable to expect, but like 40-40 and he's going to win MVP and all this different stuff. And it's like, I I think we're just probably pushing a little bit too much in our expectations because his price is pretty handsome at this point. Fernando Tatis is going inside the top seven picks. 6.9 is his ADP. Three is the minimum. 12 is the maximum. I, I think, you know, you're getting him closer to that maximum end. I don't have a problem with it. And honestly, even where he's going at number seven, there's not a huge problem I have with it. But I think you're probably safer going Freddie Freeman. You're probably safer going Kyle Tucker, who's going to the same spot. If you want to start off with a pitcher, I think Spencer Strider makes a lot of sense in that spot as well. Maybe it'll be a touch early at pick seven, but I I honestly don't really think it'll be that early. I think that's about where he should be going. And I think they're a little bit safer across the board than Tatis because maybe Tatis doesn't fully regain the magic we saw from him before. Maybe he's just going to be 25 and 25, which is still really good. But maybe he doesn't get the batting average back up to 300. And maybe the Padres trade Soto and they're not as good offensively. So there is some risk, I think, in in Fernando Tatis. I'm not taking him ahead of Freeman. And I don't think I'm taking him ahead of Kyle Tucker in really any of my drafts. Again, the argument is if you're a volume player, you're drafting pick seven in 20 different drafts. Then diversify mixed up a little bit. But I think overall, Tatis, I mean, I it could, it could look really dumb at the end of the day, but I think that we may be overdrafting him because we're projecting what happened to Acuna to happen to him. And there's too many different variables to say that, yes, it's a, it's a one-for-one situation. And now Tatis is going to have 40 homers, 40 steals, bat 325. It could easily happen, but I think that there are safer bets you could make uh, in the middle of the first round. Let's talk about Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber is number 17 on the outfielder list and somebody that I've been a big fan of and a big proponent of so far in draft season. I think that he is somebody that is really, really underpriced. I've talked about it a couple different times when I did the show about uh, draft values. He was on it. And let's first first go back and talk about 2023. So he had 47 homers, 108 runs, 104 driven in, and he batted... I know one ninety seven with zero stolen bases, so there is there are definitely negatives here from a fantasy point of view, and yet that's still equaled if you look at Rasball, a top fifty player, if you're looking at yahoo, the number sixty two overall player here, and yet he is being drafted, and I will just update here to make sure we're getting to you the absolute most recent data. he is being drafted as the eighty eighth pick off the board eighty seven point nine with a minimum pick of fifty three which I believe that one was made by me. I did have the minimum pick on Schwarber at one point. I'm not sure if I do still. It was somewhere in the 50s where I took him. Uh, And then you have the maximum at 132. I don't understand people pushing him so far down the board. He fits certain builds certainly quite a bit better than others, and I wouldn't recommend taking him with a bunch of other guys who essentially sell out for power where you're not going to get a terribly high batting average from. You're not taking... You know, him to go along with um, who else is a guy in that same kind of vein. Um, Like an Adelise Garcia is going to be a risky guy to pair him with. Or, you know, Castellanos is probably not terribly risky, but guys who you don't have a very high expectation of, especially early on in your drafts, uh, of a great batting average. You know, if you're talking about a Francisco Lindor, it's a very iffy batting average there. Pete Alonso, pretty iffy batting average. Um, there are guys where you know they're going to hit closer to the 300 mark. Obviously, the Acunas of the world. Julio has shown that. Corbin Carroll, Mookie Betts, Kyle Tucker, if you're talking early on builds. Freddie Freeman, obviously. Trey Turner's coming off a down year, but we pretty much know he's a 300 guy. If you take a couple of those kind of guys early, and in my case, with the draft where I took Schwarber, I took Corey Seager early, then it kind of offsets you. You don't have to worry about it, and then I can just enjoy – What'll likely and almost certainly be a 40-plus home run season with 100 and 100. I'm thinking there might be a couple steals because he went from 10 in 2022, and then they make it easier to steal, and then he has zero in 2023. I'm thinking we'll see probably somewhere in the middle there, probably three or four stolen bases. And I think the batting average, you know, I've talked about this before as well. He had his lowest BABIP that he's ever had, and yes, he is going to be selling out more for power as he gets older. But I don't think a 209 BABIP is necessarily what we can expect. The projections are 258 and they think the batting average gets back up to 224. And I know 224 is not anything that's amazing. But you're adding about 30 points, 25-30 points from that score from last year and we're already talking about a guy who was nearly a top 50 player. And he was depending on what system you're looking at. So I don't see a reason to push him down into the 80s or the 90s or even outside of the top 100. I still think that we're getting a fairly well-rounded fantasy player here, and especially because he is just so incredible in the categories where he produces. 100 and 100 with closing in on 50 homers. If he went for 50, there's no, nobody who'd be really shocked by it. Those players don't grow on trees, especially especially past pick 100. Now, Kyle Schwarber is still a fairly young guy as well. He is only 30 years old. I know he seems like he's been around forever. It's because he debuted when he was 22. He's very young, and it was 2015 with the Cubs. He's been around a while, but he still isn't even 31 yet. He will be before next season starts, but at this point, he is still pretty damn young. I'm not saying he's a youthful guy or anything, but he's still right there. He's not past it in any sense. He plays for a great team, great lineup. I have no reason to doubt him, especially with this reduced kind of price that we are paying for him. But let's talk about Randy Rosarena now. We mentioned him earlier. He had an incredible start to the season, and he was looking like he was going to return maybe not number one overall value, but he was looking like a first-round player for a good while. Now, he ended up, again, on Yahoo at number 66, uh, but if you just look month by month, in the month of April, we saw seven homers. We saw three steals, a 327 average, 28 RBI, 21 runs. That's when the Rays just literally couldn't lose. And a good reason for that was because of a Arena. Now, we did see him slow down, which is going to have some people concerned, probably heading into next year because a lot of people, myself included, will kind of look at the second half more so than the first half. And the second half was seven homers and a 220 batting average, and that is really not great. But, of course, you do have to look at the picture as a whole, and you got to look at the production we've seen over the past three years from Randy. 20, 20, and 23 homers, 20, 32, and 22 steals, 274, 263, 254. I know that the batting average going down like that is not great, but it— he's a guy where it's going to be in that range somewhere. It's not going to be terribly above it or below it. He'll be in that 250 to 270 kind of batting average range pretty consistently. You know you're getting 20 and 20 at least, and then you're getting great runs and RBIs considering that he is in a really great lineup. And we've talked about this uh, in numerous times, that that lineup is just great regardless of what happens. Whether it's, uh, you know, Franco leaving throughout the season or players getting hurt, or whatever it is, they're always still there in the mix. So I have no reason to doubt that Randy's going to do pretty much exactly the same thing we've come to expect over the last three seasons. His price is 45.6. You're talking there just on the turn of the third, fourth round with a minimum pick of 30, which is the last pick in round two of a 15-teamer. It's a little early for me. And the maximum pick of 60, which is the last pick of the fourth round. I think right on the ADP, that's the real sweet spot where you're talking three, four-turn, where you get a Rosa Arena there, uh, I think that that's what is right. Uh, excuse me. I think that's, that's what should be happening. That's right. Um, there shouldn't be too much movement in that one way or the other. You're probably looking at between 40 and 50, maybe we'll say 40 and 60 in a lot of drafts for a Rosa Arena. And it's totally justified based on what he does and what we can expect him to continue doing going forward. Next up on the list, we got Aaron Judge. I know it's kind of low for Aaron Judge to be finishing. 89th overall, the 19th overall outfielder. It does feel a little bit low, of course, but you have to remember Aaron Judge did miss a good portion of the season when he ran into the wall at Dodger Stadium. And I'm not sure if he fractured it or he sprained it or whatever he did to his toe, but it did end up causing him to miss quite a bit of time. He only played 106 games this year. And like I said, you're still talking a top 100 season with 37 home runs, 79 runs, 75 driven in. Three stolen bases and a two sixty-seven batting average. <clears throat> now, this was never going to be the same as what we saw in 2022. <clears throat> Excuse me. That was a historical season from Aaron Judge, and it wasn't something that we're going to see replicated probably terribly soon. 62 homers, 16 steals. He had 264 runs in RBIs, three eleven batting average. It was absurd. You don't see that kind of season very often, especially the ridiculous 62 home runs. That being said, he was on a similar pace this season, he hit 37 home runs in 106 games. That is, by my quick math here, a 57 56 57 home run pace. So he was pretty much still <clears throat> on that pace. The thing that I worry about is not the power, it's not really the team around him because he's shown that he can be kind of immune to that. With just you know, we've talked about this yesterday, we talked about it on a few different shows that there are certain players. Doesn't matter where they're playing, they are kind of immune to the team around them. Not to say it's not going to be a detriment to be playing at Oakland versus playing for the Dodgers, but some guys, you know, Bobby Witt's a good example. 100 and 100 guy on a terrible offense, no reason to expect differently. Same thing with Aaron Judge. The only thing that I think we have to worry about a little bit is this foot and exactly you know, what's going to happen. Is the problem going to get fully sorted out this offseason? And will he steal a lot of bases again? Because that was a big part of that value as well. I know the 62 homers is obviously the big story. 311 batting average doesn't hurt as well, and neither does really anything he did. But the 16 stolen bases after having previously only stolen nine as a rookie, and then after that you're looking at 3603. Three. Not ever a big base dealer, but 16, especially in the pre. Um, you know, expansion, pre-stolen base expansion environment, I guess we'll call it. That was a pretty ridiculous number to be putting up. Can he get back to that? I don't really know. Was there a part of it that was contract season? I need to be doing every single thing I can to show how valuable I am. There might have been a part of it that was that as well. Um, Not to say that he's like not trying, but maybe he won't put in as much effort on the Bates paths considering that he got paid $360 million. He doesn't really need to put his body on the line when it's not really that necessary, you're still looking at a guy where if he meets the projections, forty five, fifty homers easily. You're talking a hundred and a hundred. You're talking a couple stolen bases at least. Because even if there is a problem, you still think okay, he's going to get a couple. And you're probably looking at a two seventy to two eighty kind of hitter. He's a two eighty two career hitter. Again, he is only thirty one years old. It's crazy that Aaron Judge is older than Kyle Schwarber. I would, you know, just I feel like a lot of people would think the opposite, but that is kind of just a random one. Um, But I think you can still probably see 270, 280 kind of batting average and everything else remaining roughly the same. Now He's going at the end of the first round as well. That is where we have seen him end up in a lot of these drafts. I don't think that we're going to see that change too much. But he does have a bit of a range. Uh, Four is the minimum pick, 20 is the maximum, and 12.4 is the ADP we have overall for Aaron Judge. I think it's fine. I think at that point of the draft, you're getting potentially – You know, you could pair him and Jordan, and then you might be getting 100 dingers right off the bat. Now, I wouldn't necessarily want to be doing that. You could probably get away with it in the shallow head-to-head league because you could find stolen bases later on. You could find them on the wire. But, man, that's kind of a tempting duo to take there. You might just have a crazy amount of power. Uh, But even if you're just taking Judge, I I think you're still probably locking yourself in, assuming that he's fairly healthy for 50 homers. Because he showed us this year in 100 games, you're looking at almost 40. Even if you get 120, 130 games out of him, you're probably looking at 50 dingers. Very, very, very close to it anyway. But let's wrap up. Let's talk about number 20 on the list. And we're still inside the top 100 overall players, which is just incredible to me that there are this many outfielders. We're actually talking about 22 total, 23 actually, that were top 100. We'll get to them on the next show for outfielders, which will probably be tomorrow, but we may do a news show. I always leave that open uh, in case there is a bunch of signings or something, we may do, end up doing that. But anyway, let's get to this number 20 outfielder. We have discussed him on the first base show because that's where he will be moving. He will not be outfield eligible anymore. So, last time we'll talk about him on this particular segment of the show, Bryce Harper, thir- uh, excuse me, 89 games as a designated hitter and 36 at first base. There was some concern, I think, at some points of the year that maybe he would just be utility only. But no, he was able to get back and return. Um, to playing first base pretty regularly there by the end of the season uh he wasn't an every single day guy but pretty pretty damn close to it uh by the end of season so no reason to doubt that he will just continue to play first base next season but it doesn't matter even if he does have to dh more we do have that eligibility for next year now he played 126 games he had 21 homers 11 stolen bases batted 293 he also had 84 runs and 72 ribbies. It was a great season for Harper, even though the power wasn't fully there the way that we had maybe hoped for. We maybe should have probably expected after having elbow surgery. I just don't think it's really that big of a deal. Uh, I think that it will come back. Maybe he won't be hitting 40 plus, And we've seen it, you know, we saw it once where he had 40 plus. We saw 34, 35, 35. I think we're probably looking at more 25 to 30 then 35 to 40 range at this point for Harper considering you know what's what's happened to him uh the wear and tear on his body but even then you're getting like 30 homers in that great Phillies lineup where this is the third time we've talked about it today because they got a bunch of outfielders in this range you're going to be getting close to 100 to 100 from him in a full season projections have him for 94 and 97 you know he's a pretty safe batting average floor with a 281 career mark 293 this year and previous years you're looking 286 309 like you're pretty safe on that front. You're getting stolen bases from him, and it's been a consistent thing now for pretty much ever. I know that it goes; it has gone up and down. There was a season where he had two and a season where he had six and four and eight, but the last three years, 13, 11, and 11, and those 11 and 11 have come in only 99 and 126 games. So if he plays closer to a full season, you could see potentially a 30-20 season from Harper with good batting average. So, that is why people are drafting him up fairly highly, and I, I understand it, but I do think it's a little early. His ADP is 15.3, minimum pick of 9, maximum of 24. I understand it, but I'm not taking him over Soto, Otani, Jordan Alvarez, probably not over Matt Olson, not over Corey Seager. I don't think I would want to take him over Austin Riley necessarily either. I just think he's being a little bit outpriced for me at this point, especially on the lower end. If he's a top 10 pick, I just can't get behind it. I understand it. But we are having, we need the power to come back at that price for it to be worthwhile. And maybe it does all the way, but maybe it doesn't. And maybe Bryce Harper just sits at 25 to 27 dingers. Again, I don't expect that to happen, but it's always a possibility here. <clears throat> he did get better as time went on. In the month of August, in the month of September, he hit more homers, and maybe we don't have to worry about this at all. Because in the second half, that's where he hit 18 homers in 70 games. He's probably fine, but I just think that there are safer profiles at the end of the first round. And again, there are some risky ones there too. Judge is a little bit risky. I mean, Otani is risky to some extent, I think. Alvarez can be risky, but I still think that they're generally safer or at least as safe as Bryce Harper. And a lot of those guys we're talking about have nicer positional eligibility, Uh, especially, you know, you're talking third base, Jose Ramirez, outfield, I think will dry up a lot quicker than first base. So I think that there are a lot of reasons to not want to take Bryce Harper at the end of the first round. I could justify it in the second, but in the first, I think that there's a little bit better you could probably be doing there. But let me know what you think over on Twitter, of course, at JoeRico99, of course, at Ethos Fantasy BB as well. And if you're not on socials, check out SportsEthos.com, please, guys. Got a lot of great stuff going on over there. But tomorrow, like I said, we may end up doing the part three show for outfielders going through 21 to 30. And, yes, I know it's a little bit of a change to the format. That's because there are more outfielders to talk about. Got to at least get through the top 40 to 50. But if there are big signings, if there's a big trade or something, then we will do a show on that. But either way, guys, of course, reach me on socials with anything. But until tomorrow, take care, have a great night, and cheers.